1: Hello, Slate listeners. Do us a favor and help us make a better Slate by answering our survey. It'll only take a few minutes. You can find it at slate.com survey.
0: Hey, everyone. Just a heads up. This episode deals with some heavy topics around childbirth and misinformation. Okay, here's the show. Brandi Sadrozny is a reporter for NBC News. She covers internet culture and writes a lot about online communities. In particular, communities where misinformation about healthcare spreads groups for anti vaxxers, groups for people who are really, really afraid of parasites, people looking for a place to share what they've heard and what they're frightened of.
2: We think a lot about misinformation and disinformation in terms of political yeah. thought, right? But when you look at medical misinformation from fake cancer products to you know fake autism cures and all of it, those eclipse like fake political news. And when you have the medical model that we have now where you can hardly get in to see your doctor, many of us aren't insured, things are expensive, The place you're going to turn to is the Internet.
0: Many of these people look to private Facebook groups for answers. And in one of those groups, which was focused on unassisted birth, Brandy started to see posts from a woman named Judith. So
2: I met Judith in February of last year. And I met her because I belong to a lot of these sort of strange, fringy
0: groups. Judith was 28, and she grew up on the Pacific coast. Like a lot of the other women in the group, she wanted to give birth without a doctor or a midwife, something that's known as a free birth. How did Judith get interested in a free birth? So Judith, uh, she actually heard about the term. She's sort
2: of a crunchy person, um, a hippie person. And so she heard about the term from a friend who said, you know, I did this. Decades ago on my own and it was beautiful and lovely and she said wow that's amazing and then she googled unassisted birth birth alone Eventually her search led her to a group called the free birth society Which is a business they have a blog they have online courses So she found them bought their course watched their online videos and more than anything listened to their podcasts which they have some 70 episodes now Welcome to the free birth podcast a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. And they're just, each podcast is an interview with a woman who tells her story of free birth. And Judith's favorite was this woman who gave birth in a yurt.
0: So I I had this image of being in the yurt on the
2: mountain and I just kind of ran with it. I told my partner, like, we have to do this. Let's move to a mountain and put up a yurt and just do it and go for it. And you'd listen to them and they're gorgeous stories. They're empowering. They're beautiful. We turned off the generator and just lit a bunch of candles and everything was so still and silent and focused and real in a way I had never experienced in my life of just like full presence. But for Judith, it sort of became an obsession. She saw herself herself as a guest on the podcast, and she wondered what her story would be like. And she sort of formed this whole, you know, beautiful vision of a birth, and, and
0: she was just
2: determined to make that happen.
0: For Judith, the podcast created a vision of what a free birth could be. But it was the Facebook groups that brought that vision into focus. In groups like the Free Birth Society, she found a community of like-minded and supportive people people she could communicate with and trust. These women just talked about
2: birth, and they talked about, you know, doing it on their own with their own two hands and pools and beautiful music and without the sterility of a hospital. They talked about doctors as perpetrators of something called obstetric violence and really demonized birth
0: workers. And they really elevated women who were able to do this on their own. There are reasons that some American women fear birth. A woman in the U.S. today is 50% more likely than her mother to die in childbirth. Risks are particularly high for black women. And one-third of U.S. women now give birth by C-section. A lot of this is due to lack of access to good prenatal and postpartum care. But the numbers put together can feel shocking. There's a lot out there that can feel scary and overwhelming and like you're being bombarded with advice all of the time. I wonder how Judith felt as a pregnant woman like how how vulnerable she felt. Did did you all talk about that?
2: Yeah, I'm we um Interviewing Judith was one of the most intense experiences of my life. I am a mother of 3. We, you know, we spent days climbing mountains together and just talking about all of these things. Um, so I I know that she felt incredibly vulnerable. And she loved her baby very, very much and wanted the very, very best for the baby. She had read, you know, all of these studies, like printed them out. And she was so anxious. And she thought by doing her homework and by visualizing the best possible outcomes and not letting negative voices come in, that she could protect herself from C-sections and other
0: unfavorable outcomes for herself and her baby. In the end, Judith couldn't protect herself or her baby who she delivered stillborn. The experience was devastating, and it revealed something dark and dangerous about these private Facebook groups and the company's embrace of them. Judith told Brandy she felt like she brainwashed herself with the Internet. Today on the show, Brandy will take us inside how and why these groups flourish, what the real-life consequences are, and why Facebook isn't doing more to stop them. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Discover.
0: In all honesty, Brandy's story about Judith was hard for me to read. I'm pregnant myself right now, and I know how anxious it can make you, and how it can lead you to look in all sorts of places for advice and support. For Judith, that support started with the Free Birth Society. But when that group shut down during her pregnancy, other private groups were there to replace it. I'm really interested in the way people interacted in some of these online communities that Judith visited, that you have lurked in. Like, What are they saying to each other? Let's say you're 30 weeks pregnant. What are, what are other members telling you?
2: Well, primarily it's a group of support. So almost always they're saying, whatever you're doing is the right thing to do. So it's because often these women are, are Faced in the outside world with people doubting what they're doing or not knowing or preemptively doctor would never agree to that. So you know that they disagree with what you believe in. So you go to this group for support and they're primarily saying you can do this. You've got this. Trust your body, um, you know, home remedies, stuff like that.
0: And is there a sense that you're not supposed to talk about medicalized birth? So each group has their own
2: rules and their own admission practices. So the most extreme groups don't allow any sort of medical talk. So if you tell someone that says, I'm 44 weeks pregnant, I'm thinking of inducing, what should I do? If you tell that person, yeah, induction seems like a good idea, you're banned. Your comment is erased and you're banned from the group. And some even have before you enter, there's sort of a, a admission gate, and it has to you have to say, do you believe in a free birth? Do you think you know doctors are perpetrators of obstetric violence? Do you promise not to say anything about medical advice and not to give any medical advice? Do you agree to not ever suggest a doula? Like all of these, you know, gatekeeping questions, and then if you say
0: you know yes, 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 then you can enter. Judith went into labor at almost forty five weeks. And for people who aren't familiar with the weak terminology, 40 is considered generally a full-term pregnancy. A lot of providers won't let you go past 42 weeks. So Judith goes into labor at almost 45 weeks. What did she do? It should be said that right
2: before she went into labor, she had scheduled an induction. She felt like this was getting out of control and she needed to do it. But when labor did start, her water broke on its own and she was elated um, she immediately started doing all the things that she had planned to do. She started the music. They filled the pool. She danced and laughed and walked and sang and um, moved and felt like it was all happening for her. And she was, she was just really excited and so happy. And she, uh, the first thing she did was she checked in with her Facebook group to let her know that it was time for her story to begin. Uh, everyone was very excited comments started filling up you've got this you know we're so proud of you can't wait to see your baby earthside i um everything was just so good and you've seen these posts you know a million times in these groups and then um it's just silent so she um she had another pocket of waters broke and she saw meconium which is a stool um, and when a baby inhales that during birth, it can be very dangerous. You need to get to a hospital. So she saw that. So she went um, in the back seat of her car. Her husband drove her to the hospital. And, you know, they put a band around her belly and uh, they quickly could discern that there was no heartbeat. Um, the first thing she does is she signs back on to her Facebook group and wants to update Because she knows that they'll be watching because, again, that's what you do. You wait for an update. And she said, you know, I I have an update. It's very sad. My baby has died. Was she angry with her Facebook group? Not at first. She's really smart. She's very empathetic. She's sensitive. She's she's a good person. And I, I don't think anybody wants to admit that they did something that they think is stupid or that they were taken advantage of it in any way. And and she is, she still does think that there are good things to be had from Facebook groups where women congregate around a certain idea, like like free birth or home birth. But she does recognize the fact that it's the extremeness of the groups that she was pushed into, that those are the problem. So she's not angry, but she does feel taken advantage of by a, a platform that sort of nudged her into these
0: spaces. I want to dig into that a little bit, this idea that she was taken advantage of and, and steered. Does she think that Facebook played an active role in doing that? Yes.
2: Yeah. She um she recognizes the fact that the, the dings of comments were exciting to her, like Pavlovian. Yeah. It, it really was something that she would get excited about, it would remind her to check into her groups. It would say, oh, there's a new comment up, ding, come, come back in. And it would recommend even more extreme groups from her in the right rail. So it was like, oh, you like birth unassisted? Try free birth and click and she would join. And it's so easy to sort of get into these increasingly narrow echo chambers. And so that's what it did for her. And I think that that is the point where... If Facebook's model is to make sure that we're on its platform all the time, then I think that therein lies some responsibility for the groups
0: that it's promoting. Do you have a sense of how many groups there are like this out there? There are tens of millions
2: of Facebook groups. It's not clear how many are extreme, but I look at extreme communities like QAnon, right, and conspiracy groups. I, my finger gets tired before I reach the end of all the available QAnon groups. Wow! I can't tell you how many there are. Over 100? Absolutely. Thousands of members? Absolutely. And it's worth knowing that tens of millions of groups are mostly, most of those are all private. And that's the point. That's, that's how Facebook would like it to be.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to F8.
0: Last year, Mark Zuckerberg took the stage at Facebook's F8 conference to announce a change in strategy that had been years in the making. Two years earlier, he'd announced that the social network would focus on expanding the role of groups. But now, after a lot of scandal over privacy breaches, that focus on groups took on a new element.
1: Today, we are going to talk about building a privacy-focused social platform. Privacy gives us the freedom To be ourselves.
2: Mark Zuckerberg has said that the great thing about groups and the great thing about privacy is that people can feel relaxed to say what they really mean because they're not they don't have all the eyes of the world on them. Right. That's very true. So when people are in a group with like minded people who maybe look and believe like they do, they're likely To um, I don't know, not have the best of themselves come out all the time. Sometimes honesty isn't the best policy. And so when you have a sort of secret society like the pregnancy groups, the only way anyone's going to know about something going on in the group is if you have an infiltrator or if you have someone from within the group who says, I don't like this, I'm going to report it to Facebook. Nobody does that. Nobody self-reports. So by the nature of its content moderation is that it sort of stays out of it until someone's reporting in groups. And that's a problem, obviously.
0: Some of these private Facebook groups aren't just closed. They're actually invisible unless a member invites you. And that means that as the company embraces privacy, there's a risk that the number of extreme groups could grow. Groups have
2: grown exponentially since 2017 when he announced that he wanted to pivot to groups. It was 100 million people in active, meaningful groups. Now it's 400 million. His goal is 1 billion users in meaningful groups. And if we've learned anything, it's that don't
0: underestimate his
2: ability to grow this company.
0: What does Facebook say to the idea that its you know, very business practices perpetuates this kind of stuff?
2: Nothing. I have asked so many times. I've asked so many different people. I mean, they are for free expression, and they don't want to be the arbiters of truth. So that's technically what they say. Um, the problem is, they also say that they want to combat misinformation on the platform, and they also say that they have a lot of work to do around health.
0: And those two things don't jibe. I think about who's in charge of moderating in in a situation like some of these. I was in a Facebook group for IVF mm. during that process for me and I found it incredibly helpful. It was a really warm community, but it also had really strict moderators mm. who kind of made sure to to police the comments and be in there. And I and I guess I wonder that seems like really placing the onus on individuals rather than the platform. Facebook would love to do that
2: and they actually have. Like they've they've been more they've been stricter in terms of they, I think they phrase it placing power in the administrator's hand. You know, it's, it's a great thing. But really, they've said we've gotten a lot of flack for what's been happening in groups and you have to do a better job being a group administrator. And if you don't, you know, they have a back end where they'll show you you're dinged this many times. If your users act up and you keep and you don't moderate it well, then you could be. Eventually banned. And so you've seen a lot of moderators on the groups recently being a little, a little harsher when it comes to content moderation, which is great if the goal is content moderation and keeping dangerous things off the platform. But again, you still have groups that by their very design are predicated on misinformation, like the anti-vaccination group. So to say that like you have to be very specific on our community standards and really walk the line. But you can have a group being that's called, you know, vaccines will kill your baby. And that's OK. <laughs> it's just it doesn't it doesn't again, doesn't quite make sense. And I get the reason, you know, just the scale. Think of that tens of millions of groups that are posting hundreds
0: of posts per day. Like it's you there's no way you can't scale that. What do you think that means for how information gets spread and how misinformation gets spread? I
2: mean, I th- think since it's being spread at the rate it is it's only going to get worse but I think more interestingly it's going to be harder to detect so we'll never really know we don't we don't have any way of, of finding these groups and finding out what's going on in them and it's been specifically closed off for journalists and researchers who study this in academia and and you know you can't help but think that that's the point.
0: Brandi Zadrozny, thank you. Thanks so much. Brandi Zadrozny is a reporter with NBC News. You can read her full piece about Judith on NBCNews.com. All right, that is it for today. What Next TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and hosted by me, Lizzie O'Leary, and is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. This year, Future Tense is collaborating with the Tech, Law, and Security Program at American University Washington College of Law on the Free Speech Project, an editorial and event series. The series will examine the ways technology is influencing how we think about speech. Mary will be back on Monday. Thanks for listening. Talk to you all next week.